Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. We're going to continue our study in the book of Acts today. So if you can get out your Bibles and open them up to Acts chapter 15. Just a moment, we'll start our reading from the end of Acts chapter 15. If you're new here or you haven't been with us since maybe the summer, um, Acts is a historical book that covers about a 30-year period. And it's one of the five historical books in the New Testament. And as our teaching pastor, Phil Moser, has taught us, when we study a historical book, we're to look into the relationships. So we're going to take a closer look at a couple of relationships in this passage today. And I want to catch you up on the timeline of this 30-year period of the early church. So Paul has gone on his first missionary journey, and he's taken Barnabas and Mark with him. And it wasn't the most successful missionary journey. They had some highs, there were some new churches planted, some people coming to Christ, but they faced a lot of opposition, a ton of persecution. Paul was beaten to the point that they thought he was dead and his body was dragged out of his city and left there. Fortunately, he wasn't dead. So we're going to pick up in that narrative because Barnabas and Paul now want to get the band back together and they want to go visit all those cities that they had visited on that first missionary journey. So as we do each Sunday morning, if you can please stand to honor the reading of the word, we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and you can follow along either with your Bible in front of you or on the screens ahead. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. This is the word of God. Please be seated. So on that first missionary journey, they had John Mark coming along with him, but he left in the middle of this journey and went back home. Now, scripture isn't crystal clear on why he left, But the more you read into it, it seems he left when the going got tough. They were in some areas where they were facing intense persecution, and he bailed out at a rough time. So here we are in the passage. Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him, but Paul doesn't think this is a good idea because he bailed on him. So what's the result? They separated from each other. Man, a church split. Two titans of the New Testament going in separate directions. We've all either felt that pain or heard about it before. We know what it's like when brothers and sisters in Christ are disagreeing with each other and not on the same page. It can be really painful. So as we look into this passage, I want to consider two questions today. One, what is important enough to break up a relationship? And two, what is important enough to sustain a relationship? So here we have two guys 
who are not seeing eye to eye, and they go in their separate ways. So let's take a little closer look at these two guys. We looked at Barnabas last year in our Unlikely Heroes series, but there's so much we can learn from this guy. We first get introduced to him here in Acts chapter 4. We find out his real name is Joseph, but the apostles call him Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. Can you imagine being known by your spiritual gift, that you lived a life in a way that people saw the spiritual gift in you? Maybe your spiritual gift is giving. Hey, there's Mr. Cheerful Giver over there. He's come to join us. Or maybe your gift is mercy. Hey, it's Mrs. Mercy. I mean, Barnabas had to live his life in such a way that his nickname was around, centered around his spiritual gift. And if we look in verse 37 here, he put all his chips on the table. He was all in on living for Christ. He sold what he had and he gave the money to the apostles and said, let's go. I want to be part of this movement. In Acts chapter 9, we get an idea of how tight the relationship with him and Paul must have been. Paul had just been converted to Christians after hunting them down and persecuting them. And what happened when he wants to join the disciples? They were all afraid of him and they didn't believe he was a true disciple. But who comes to the rescue? Barnabas. Barnabas goes to encourage Paul and say, don't give up. You should be joining up with these guys. And he encourages the group of believers, says, you want this guy on our team. Can you imagine the Christian movement in the early church if Paul wasn't a part of it? Barnabas was doing what he was made to do, to encourage others. You know what it's like when someone recognizes a change in you. Hey, did you get your hair cut? Hey, you're losing weight. Hey, you're working out. You're looking good. I mean, here was the biggest change in Paul's life, and no one's recognizing it, but Barnabas does. I had to imagine that this bonded those two guys really tightly. But Barnabas wasn't done encouraging Paul. See, later on in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas is sent to Antioch to see what's going on. The spirit is moving there and a lot of good things are going on. And when he gets there, he sees this is the place to be. Antioch is where it's happening in the Christian movement. So what does he do? He goes to Tarsus to get Saul, who we know as Paul. Now, this isn't just around the corner. This is like us walking to Washington, D.C. and back to pick up a friend to say, you need to be here. But here he is once again encouraging Paul, doing what God designed him to do. So what does he want to do here in our passage today? He wants to bring John Mark with him. John Mark bailed on the first missionary journey. Yeah, it wasn't his best moment. But Barnabas is an encourager, and he says, come on, I want to bring Mark with us. But Paul... He doesn't think it's a good idea. How could this be that two titans that are committed to living their life for Christ are seeing differently? Well, we need to learn a little bit more about Paul. And there's so much written about Paul and we talk about him all the time. But what does Paul write in the first chapter of Romans? That he is under obligation to share the gospel. He is eager to preach the gospel because he knows it's his mission. He is obligated to do this. And he writes to the Corinthians that he is compelled to preach. This is a man obligated and compelled to stick to his mission, to preach the gospel and to spread that in the tough places. He knows from his past experience on that first missionary journey, it's going to be tough. People are not going to easily accept the message that he is designed and obligated to bring. So these two guys go their separate ways. But what's the result? Well, Paul writes later in 2 Timothy, when Paul's in jail now, and Luke's the only one with him, he says to Timothy, can you go get Mark and bring him with you? For he is really useful to me for ministry. Man, what a change. 
He didn't want Paul to come along earlier. And now he's requesting, I mean, Mark to come with him, but now he's requesting Mark's presence. It appears that Barnabas's encouragement had a big impact in Mark's life. And we now know that Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. So Barnabas's encouragement had a big impact on the life of Mark. But how about Paul and Silas go in their own way without Barnabas and Mark? What was the result there? The result was the strengthened churches. Their design was to go back and visit every city, see how they're doing, share the gospel, but build up these churches. And they were successful in their mission. So we ask ourselves, what is important enough to break up a relationship when you were using your gifts from God to spread the gospel and build up the body? So many times we get this wrong when we split up in church, we disagree, we go opposite ways. It doesn't end well for one side or the other. But here are two people who are uniquely gifted from God, given a specific mission and following those orders and everybody wins. The churches are built up and the gospel is spread. I think there's even more to this story. So this is a map of Paul's second missionary journey. And we know how successful it was, all the places that they went. But if you remember, they said they wanted to go back and visit all the cities that they did on that first missionary journey. And this is where they traveled on that first missionary journey. The red, dark red line is where they were on their way out. The dotted red line was on their way back in. That blue line at the bottom is where Mark departed in the middle of that journey. But they went to the island of Cyprus on that first missionary journey. Second missionary journey, see Cyprus, they didn't visit it. But they said they wanted to go to all the cities. Well, where did Barnabas and Mark go? Barnabas took Mark and sailed away to Cyprus. It was as almost if these two said, let's divide and conquer. And in God's perfect wisdom, he created two missionary teams to spread out, to, to encourage the churches and to spread the gospel. So again, what is important enough to break up a relationship between two believers? When people are using their gifts from God to spread the gospel and build up the body. But what's important enough, whoops, to sustain a relationship, to create or keep a relationship going? Well, in our passage here, we see that Paul and Silas are out and they come across Timothy. Now they had met Timothy before, but now Paul wants Timothy to come along with them. And what does he do? He has them circumcised. Hold on. Time out. Didn't we just study last Sunday in Acts chapter 15 that they fought against this very issue? They all went to Jerusalem to meet together to say, do we have to follow the old Jewish laws? There were 613 of them that they all wanted to stick to. And they said, is this still necessary now that Christ has come? The new law of liberty was here and they were all unanimous in saying, no, we don't have to follow along with the old laws anymore. So what the heck is Paul doing here now having Timothy circumcised? Why does he do it? Because of the Jews who were in those places. He knew from his first missionary journey how they were going to handle that. So he wanted to get it out of the way. Did he cave to these people? Did he give in to the pressure of the people that he knew he was going to face? There's a great note in the Life Application Study Bible that talks about this. It says, sometimes we need to go beyond the minimum requirement in order to further the kingdom of God. Hmm. Paul knew he was right. Did he forget it? Well, if we go back in Acts, we know that he had a letter with him from the elders and apostles in Jerusalem saying, no, you're right, Paul. But he didn't want to sit there and argue, was he right or wrong? Because he knew his mission at this point in time 
was to go out and spread the gospel. And he didn't want to have any opposition. But I can see some people probably in here thinking, man, Paul, you were weak. You caved. You just gave in to these guys because you knew they were going to argue against it. Paul, you were right. You should have stuck up for that and defended that. Well, Warren Wearsby talks about the difference in his commentary on this chapter. See, the battle in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, was over the truth of the gospel. That's why they had to defend it. It wasn't over the fitness of a man to serve. But now in Acts chapter 16, Paul's concern with Timothy was not his salvation. It was over his fitness for service. Their mission was to go out and spread the gospel, tell this new story to people who were still thinking about those old 613 laws. But he was focused on what his mission was. If it's the truth of the gospel, defend it to the end. If now your mission is to advance the gospel, put everything else aside. It reminds me of what Paul wrote in Romans. Live in harmony with one another. And down in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live possibly with all. Now, who are all things possible through? Christ. But so far as depends on you. So far as it depends on me. Paul wasn't sitting there arguing over, I'm right, you're wrong, you got to see my way in this. Because it wasn't part of the mission. As much as depends on us. The outside unbelieving world is watching. What are we going to fight over? If it's the truth of the gospel, absolutely. Just like Phil taught us last week. But if the mission is to spread the gospel, get the other things out of the way. And what is the result of this? The churches were strengthened and they increased in numbers daily. That's the outcome. Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Mark, they all had the same mission. Go out and strengthen the churches and advance the gospel. What is important enough to sustain a relationship? When the body is built up and the gospel is advanced. Church, we have gotten this wrong too many times. We fight over silly things. What kind of songs are we going to sing? What translation should we read? Should we wear a mask or not? Ooh. Just get that stuff out of the way. We have the same mission when we read this book that they did. Matthew 28 is clear. Make disciples, strengthen and build up the church and advance the gospel. How do we get this wrong so many times and what can we do about it? I want to tell you a story about the 2000 British Olympic rowing team. Leading into the Sydney Olympics, they were predicted to finish eighth. And this didn't sit well with the team. So they developed their golden question. The golden question was, will it make the boat go faster? Everything that they did, they measured against that question. The opening ceremonies of the Olympics is a tremendous honor for Indian Olympian. They get to walk in with their teammates behind their country's flag. But this team asked themselves, will attending the opening ceremonies make the boat go faster? It would not. So they skipped the opening ceremonies. Everything they ate, every training thing they did, every activity outside of that, will it make the boat go faster? If it would, they did it. If it didn't, they didn't do it. And for the first time in 90 years, they won the gold medal. We need to know what our golden question is. 
Will it make our boat go faster? Will it advance the gospel? Will it strengthen the church? If it will, we should do it. If it won't, we shouldn't do it. Folks, this is titled the sermon series, What Are We Doing Here? Our mission is clear when we read this. Advance the gospel and build up the church. We have to stop disagreeing with each other in unhealthy ways. We have to be unified. Pastor Phil talked about it last week. The gospel is what unites us. Will it make our boat go faster? Now this mission, this gospel that we speak of, that they knew they would fight for anything for, is still the gospel today. The five people that just got baptized were publicly professing their faith that they trusted Christ in place of their own life when they meet God. You know, all religions lead to God. Yes, you heard that right. All religions lead to God. The problem is, is that when you get there, you're left defending yourself by the life you lived. Romans 3.23 is clear. Every single one of us in this room has sinned. Every one of us. And we have fallen short of God's perfect, glorious standard. We have not met it. We cannot meet it. But Jesus Christ did. That's the gospel that we're fighting for. He died on the cross to make the payment of death because death is the penalty for sin. Now, there are people in this room who have already accepted Christ as their personal savior. But we know this book is true. And this book tells us that every time we gather, there are unbelieving people in here, people who haven't yet accepted Christ as their savior. And today is a day that we can do that. I would ask everyone to please bow their heads. If you have professed your faith in Christ and trusted him, knowing that you, when you meet God, your life is going to be judged on Christ's life and not your own. I would ask that you would pray, giving thanks for that and pray for people in the room who might be considering that. If you know that the life you've lived has at least one sin in it, scripture is clear. We don't qualify for heaven, but Christ lived a sinless life and he died in our place. Christ died to pay our penalty. And if you choose today to accept his payment in place of the life you lived, the promise is eternal life in heaven. So it's not the words that you pray, it's the condition of your heart. If you wanna pray something like this, God, I do recognize that I'm a sinner. I know that my life hasn't been perfect, but I know the life of Jesus was. And today, I accept Christ's payment on my behalf. His death on the Christ, his death on the cross is a substitute for me. Would you just tell God that right now in the pew where you are? Tell him you wanna repent. You wanna turn away from the life you've been living and you wanna turn towards living for Christ. That doesn't mean you're perfect today. As Jacob said in his testimony, we're never perfect, but Christ was. Father, I thank you for your word and for your example that others before us lived, knowing their mission and being committed to it, to live a life to build up the church and to advance the gospel. 
Father, I am grateful for the five individuals today who have publicly proclaimed their faith and trust in you as their savior. And Lord, I ask that your spirit would move in the hearts of people here today. If there are individuals who know they have yet to place their faith in you, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, may you celebrate with them as they put their trust in you. And Father, as we go about our day and our week, I ask that your spirit would be with us, empowering us to remember, will it make our boat go faster? Will we advance the gospel? Will we build up and strengthen the church? Father, we can't do it alone, but your spirit can strengthen us to do that. And I pray that we would walk with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.